Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I want to start off with an inspiring clip for you guys. So, start walking, you doggone long-eared galoot. Just a minute, partner. You can't talk to me like that. Them's fighting words. Yeah, them's fighting words. I dare you to step over this line. Okay, I'm a-stepping. I dare you to step over this one. This one. This one. That one. That one. This one. All right, there you go. I have no idea what this has to do with the sermon. I just wanted to make you guys watch <laughs> Looney Tunes, <laughs> which uh, seems to be ageless. I mean, my kids got, I because I got this in my head uh, this week with the sermon, then they started watching all of the YouTube has like classic compilations of this stuff. So you can watch endlessly uh, Looney Tunes. But uh, actually, no, there is a connection to the sermon today uh, in terms of argument and conflict. By the way, do you guys know what it is that uh, they were fighting about in this scene? Does it matter? No, they're just vehicles for the jokes, right? We don't, there's, no, there's no actual storyline uh, to this. They're just always fighting with each other. And for whatever reason, this uh, clip was in my head as I was thinking about the conflict in Corinth and as I was thinking about our own conflicts because you just have the, the, uh, the craziness of Yosemite Sam willing to cross that line basically until it's his own, you guys are wondering about this, right? His own demise, right? The end of the line, literally for him in that space. And it just had me thinking about uh, our own arguments and our own conflicts that we have. What was the, when was the last argument that you had with somebody? Some of you are like, well, it was this morning trying to get out of the house for church. Uh, or maybe it was this last week at work or in school or something. Uh, you had a conflict with someone or an argument with someone or, or maybe more of a passive-aggressive argument with them, like you argued with them in your head, but you didn't actually confront them about it. Um, maybe it was something uh, that is years ago, but with someone that you deeply care about, someone who's really close to you, and that conflict still stings in some way. Time doesn't heal all wounds uh, in some of those spaces, right? It doesn't take much. Uh, for an argument or a conflict with somebody. Maybe you're thinking of one right now uh, as I'm telling you about this. Another question, though, for us, when was the last argument that you won? Some of the, some of the folks in here who've maybe had more seasons of arguments laughed immediately with this question. And even as I was thinking about it myself, um, talking to myself about this, even without a puppet on the other end, of my hand here, I thought, boy, this is kind of a crazy question, actually, winning an argument. I'm not even sure I know what that means uh, anymore, right? I've got a question for us that is not rhetorical, so I am interested in your feedback. What are some of the causes of the conflicts or the arguments that we have with other people? What are some of the causes for these things? Money, I hear, okay. Yeah, we might have argument, and it doesn't matter whether you have a lot or a little, 
right? People will find a way to, sometimes people think, well, if I just had more, I'd stop fighting over it. And that certainly doesn't end up being the truth, at least for most people, right? So money can be a, a source of conflict. What else? Okay, politics, right? And I mean, sometimes we like to dismiss things as politics, but they're also kind of the ways that we view the world, what we value, what we think is important in life. And that's why they're pretty important things to us, right? So we'll fight with each other over them for sure. What else? Misunderstandings. So sometimes it's just a matter of, uh, I thought you meant this, or I thought you intended that, right? Um, in the early service, someone mentioned the, uh, a different emphasis. I had a college professor who liked to say the emphasis is on the wrong syllable, right? Uh, and so sometimes it might just be, you know, this person values this a little bit more than I do. And so we're fighting with each other about it. Any other ideas? Our ego, right? Our ego or our pride. Sometimes we even know that we're wrong about something, but we don't want to actually admit it. This is what makes it so um, kind of shocking to a person who's not used to the life of the church that we start with confession, right? That's off-putting, actually, that we actually start by saying, I'm wrong and you're right to God. Right? Because that's one of the hardest things that we find to do in our own lives. Was there another thought right there? All right, our own ignorance about something. We just don't know something. Uh, and so we will argue with each other about it. One of our confirmation kids, yeah. Fighting with little brothers. All right. Yes, we'll talk about that too as well. So there's all kinds of, we could probably spend the rest of the morning on this, but we will get to our sermon time too. There are all kinds of causes at root of our conflicts or our arguments with each other. Well, today we're looking at a conflict in the city of Corinth 2,000 years ago, and I'm not going to do a ton of history stuff with you, but I just want to set the stage a little bit for you as to what's going on. So the city of Corinth is like a major metropolitan, and it actually sits in a part of Greece where it's got an east side and a west side to the water. So it's a major trading area. So lots of goods go through there, and therefore lots of money and lots of different people. And when you have big major metros, uh, typically what ends up happening is you've got great amounts of wealth and great disparity, right? You have people from all different walks of life, right? I mean, people are coming in to make their money, get ahead, get an opportunity, whatever the thing is. So they're coming from all over. And so they're going to have very diverse backgrounds, experiences, family situations, language. They're not going to be the same as each other. And so people will kind of start plugging into their own little spaces. And you think about it, it's like a rat race and a question of where do I belong? Does this sound familiar to you guys? Should, should in some ways, right? And in this context, the good news of Jesus comes to individual ears and hearts of people and says, there is a God and he created you out of love. And your life is not just passing the time, making a buck and dying. God actually has purpose for your life. And you've been disconnected from your roots and your family and God has given you a place where you belong, right? That you're part of a greater family with greater purpose and greater grace and belonging in that family. I mean, just think about all the different ways 
that the good news of Jesus has impacted your life at different stages of life and the different experiences and different hardships and joys. This is what the individual people in Corinth, in this church that Paul has planted, have heard. And it's changed their life. But we're still sinners. And they immediately fall back into these factions and fights with each other. And if you go back to chapter 1, it turns out it's not just Paul and Apollos, but you've got four different camps in this church in Corinth. So you've got the people who say, I'm with Paul. You got the people who say I'm with Apollos, who apparently was like a minister that's serving them at the time. So think of like your church planter and your, then the guy who's there now, right? And then you've got uh, others that say they're with Cephas or Peter, the apostle, and still others with Jesus. Now, which team would you want to be on? Right? But they're all, they're all playing this game. Uh, our Wednesday uh, service, we do a Bible study afterwards. And I did this with the, the group a couple weeks back so they would help me write my sermon. And the next week, uh, Jim Thiel comes up to me and he says, so my wife and I were talking about which of our preachers we like the most here at St. Michael's. And we decided it was Snappy the Crab. So, so notice that they've got factions, right? Um, and it, it's, it's comical to us, but it's very serious to them, right? They're, they are fighting about this, and Paul has an, an issue with this. What do you suppose they're fighting about? What do you guys think they're fighting over? What's that, Gordon? Influence. Could be that. Who gets to make the decisions? That could be a fight for sure. What other possibilities are there? Who's better than another? Maybe the message. I mean, that you could have, uh, it could be a theological debate, right? Somebody's emphasizing one thing, another, another thing, and they, they're fighting over that. That could be it. What else? What's that? The hair? Oh, who has more hair? All right. I didn't come up with that. Don't tell that. Um, it could be, well, someone on Wednesday had even mentioned the color of the carpet, right? Maybe they could be arguing about where you put something in a room, um, which of course makes us kind of scoff, but do you want me to come and pick colors at your house? Maybe not, right? Maybe not. What's fascinating is we don't really know. Okay, we'll get into that. Um, how do people decide which group to be a part of? How do they decide that they're Team Paul or Team... Um, Peter or whatever? How do they figure this out? I don't know. Sometimes people, you get just entrenched in an idea and you don't want to move from it. Maybe you have found yourself in conflict with someone else, not because you actually knew the issue that was at play, but because they seem to be against someone that you care about. And so you're with them, right? These kinds of factions and drawing lines in the sand, they, they happen very naturally for us no matter what right? So we don't know. Now, this is what's helpful to us for you and I today as we think about conflict or arguments in our own lives. The Corinthian church are helpful fools for you and me. They are helpful fools uh, for two reasons, at least. The first is that we don't actually know what they're arguing about. We have no clue what the actual issue is and Paul does, now you can read the rest of the Corinthian letters and get some ideas, but in this setting right here, Paul doesn't say what the issue is that there, or whose camp is whose. And why is this helpful for you and me? Because we can't pick sides. 
And we all want to. I was struggling with this, you know, preaching this sermon because I was thinking, what, what illustrations could I give about conflicts? And anything that I would pick, especially if it has any resonance with our own life and experience, whether it's something in our families, something in our culture, something in politics, you pick whatever the topic is, how are we going to handle that as a group or as individuals? Our hearts and our knees are going to react, right? We're going to have that knee-jerk reaction. We're going to pick a side. We can't help ourselves. And so it's beautiful that God has prepared this word for us where we don't have any idea which side we're supposed to be on. How do we pick? Paul, Apollos, Jesus, Peter. We don't even know. So that's really helpful because it can help you and I to step back from the presenting problem of what the argument is over to the deeper issues that are at play for us. And Paul will do that for us. So that's the first thing that's helpful. The second thing that's helpful for us is that the Corinthians illustrate the depth of our problem. What's wrong with Paul? Well, I'm sure we could think of many things, but he planted the church and he brought the gospel to them. And Peter is Jesus' disciple and apostle. And Apollos is a faithful minister that Paul says is watering. And Jesus is the savior of the world. Some of our arguments are over things that are good and bad, right? Over God's will versus not God's will. I mean, there is, there is objective truth that God has put into his creation. Some of that happens. But what are these guys arguing about? All good things. All good people. Which is beautiful for us because it illustrates the depth of our ability to have conflict with each other. <laughs> Even if we can fight with each other over things that are all good, we could still find a way to do that. And the Corinthian church does it. And so Paul actually brings us not to the presenting problem, but to the deeper source of conflict for us. And it happens in two places. And if you like looking along in your Bible, you can open up to chapter one, because we're going to backtrack a little bit. I'm going to read a few sections for you and talk about them. So the first problem, first core problem for our conflict is the seeking of wisdom or perceived wisdom. And this is what Paul says in chapter one, verse 20 and following. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Look at that. That that right there is a dividing line of people, us's and them's. And what does Paul do? Puts them all together, <laughs> right? But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So I learned something recently. My kids know everything. They know absolutely everything. Um, and what I mean is this. I was talking with a, 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 another dad here picking up Sunday school last uh, Sunday. And we were just chatting about this. And, you know, if I tell my kids, hey, put your shoes on. We need to get going. I know. I know. Don't forget to put that in your bag. I know. Right? I know. They just know. And uh, he and I were laughing about this because he said last week he told his kids something that there was no way they could have known this. It was all new information. It was a surprise. 
guess what? I just got off the phone with grandma. She's coming next weekend. I know. Right? I know. And what, what's the draw for kids doing this? And do we grow out of it? I know we're teasing the younger among us, but do we grow out of it? I don't think so. There's a, there's a desire to know, to not be foolish, to not be without knowledge. Um, we've, I've talked about this a couple times in different Bible classes with people, but you know that Mark Twain quote? Not the one about winters in San Francisco. The other one. Like he's only got two. But it's this. It's better to be quiet and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. All right? And translating for those who don't speak old timey, basically what he's getting at here is that if you don't know something, don't speak up because then people might think you actually know something. But once you speak, they're going to know that you don't have a clue about it. Right? Now that sounds like wisdom, doesn't it? It's not. Not for followers of Jesus. Do we need other people to think that we know stuff? I think we feel that way. But God gives wisdom to the foolish, right? He gives mercy to sinners. He gives life to the dead. We don't agree with Mark Twain on this one. We got to open our mouths. If we're ignorant, we need God to give us his word. If we don't know something, we need to say, hey, help me. I don't know this. But that's really hard for us to do. This is why kids early, very early on want to say, I know. And why we have a hard time ever letting go of knowing something. Because we equate our knowledge or our wisdom or our influence with our worth, with our value. And this is a major source of our conflict with others around us. There's a, a great book by a guy named Jonathan Haidt called The Righteous Mind. For those of you that are readers, you can check it out. And he kind of walks through this whole dynamic for us, psychologically and socially, about how we just have a hard time being wrong. And you see that with Jesus. Most of his harshest interactions are not with sinful people who've been humbled by life and their own failures. It's people who are totally sure of themselves and have it all together. And so Paul highlights this for us, that we seek after wisdom, worldly wisdom, or at least appearing so to others, because we equate it with our own value, right? With our own worth. I'm right equals I'm worthy. This is a core uh, source of our conflict. The second one that Paul talks about related is power, right? Is power. And starting with verse 26, I'll continue here. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Boy, this isn't a really nice way to address your friends, is it? But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I was in high school, I, uh, my junior and senior year, I really tried to phone it in and take as few classes as possible. And one of my classes was 
uh, video broadcasting, which if you were born at 2000 or later, you're like, what's a video and what is broadcasting? But it's, bit, it's a videography class. And I checked with our high school kids in the early service. That these are still, this is still a thing that's offered in high schools where you make videos, you learn how to do, you know, frame a shot and how to edit things and all this kind of stuff. So it was a blast. I really enjoyed it. And um, one of the things that we got to do every other week was put a news show together that the whole high school would watch on their TVs uh, in their classrooms. And I remember one week, uh, my friends and I did a, a story on the boys' varsity tennis team. And we were interviewing one of my friends, James, about how what were the prospects for the playoffs for the boys' tennis team this year and all this kind of stuff. And James was a good player uh, and also kind of a funny guy. And so he's, you know, given, he's given a good interview, all right? We'll say he's given a good interview. Uh, but then at one point we asked him about another teammate of his, this guy Andy, who, also a friend of ours, who was really good. I mean, he went on and played at UConn um, and was a really good tennis player. So when, the moment we asked James, well, what is it, what, 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 how are things looking for Andy this year? James kind of had this pause, almost like you could see him kind of s- sit back a little bit. And he goes, see, the thing about Andy is he's a big fish in a small pond. And I'd never heard that uh, phrase before that time. But what he was getting at, of course, is that, well, yeah, he might seem like a big deal. But once he goes out in the world, he'll, he'll be humbled, right? What, you could, what I could see happening physically and audibly before me with James was a threat. Even though they were friends with each other, this comparison game, right? This power, this conflict, and that, that often happens for us too, where our conflict with each other isn't even necessarily that we disagree with each other, but simply that we're comparing ourselves to each other and getting into these spaces. So, so the concern for us isn't just I'm right equals I'm worthy, but, you know, compared to this person, am I worthier, right? And so we'll have these conflicts with each other as well. And so you notice here, wisdom, power, whatever the presenting issues are that we're actually fighting about, the deeper issue here that Paul diagnoses for us is this, this desire to establish our own worth with those around us. Now, I said it, uh, earlier that the Corinthians are helpful fools for us because they help us diagnose what's at the root of our conflict with each other. But there's actually a foolishness that is even more helpful to us because it actually rescues us. And you heard Paul talk about it. It is the foolishness of God for us. It's fascinating. We'll hear uh, chapter two in just a second here, but Paul is tagged as one of these factions. And how tempting would it be for Paul to say, oh, well, tell, what is it that you like about my side? Tell me more about, you know, affirm me, Right. I'm team Paul. Tell me what's so great about team Paul. (laughs) He could do that. He could play up into the division that that group is making between him and Apollos and Jesus, right? Of course, he famously says, well, was Paul crucified for you, right? What's going on here? And in chapter two, he, he lives this out with them. He says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. We know elsewhere in Paul's letters that he's accused of being a great writer and a terrible speaker, right? So there might be some truth to what he's saying here and not just, he's not just saying this. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. I don't know how open I would be to someone approaching me like that, right, with a message. I I wouldn't give them a lot of credit, I think. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Paul, beautifully led by the Spirit, says, I must become less and he must become greater. Those are John the Baptist's words. And Paul's living them out too. Not going to enter the fray. He's not going to pick winners and losers. He's going to point us to the foolishness of God in Jesus Christ. And that is our hope. Because Jesus, quite amazingly, is willing to be foolish and to be weak for you and I. There's a lot of ways to describe what the cross means for us in our lives. But as I was thinking about it this week, in light of what we hear with Paul and the Corinthians, I think we can say that the cross is God's willingness to lose the argument. The cross is God's willingness to lose the argument. Jesus gives no fight to them. He is silent before his accusers. He lays it down. He lets people hurl all kinds of insults at him. He is devalued before the world's eyes because God would rather lose the argument than lose you. That's how much he cares. That's how much he loves us. And that's the the foolishness and the weakness of God that is so much greater than the wisdom and power that we chase after all the time. Jesus doesn't get into comparison games either. You see that with every interaction that he has with people. He joins them wherever they are. And so if you feel like you're losing something right now, right, or you think about times in your life where you have felt the lowest, know that Jesus is with you in the midst of that. He is your wisdom and your power. He is your victory. This is God's word to us today. So going back to our first question, about winning arguments. How do we, as followers of Jesus, win an argument? We don't. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.